Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 121 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in this week's episode, we have an update on the data requirements for the COVID-19 test and trace system here in the UK. We learn news of a new wearable COVID-19 contact tracking device which has been revealed in Ireland. And remaining in Ireland, we have news of the countme.ie COVID-19 tracking app. We then return to the UK, where pension funds have been advised to take steps to ensure that their GDPR procedures are up to date ahead of the end of the Brexit transition period on 31st of December this year. And for all businesses, we have a look at the end of the Brexit transition period and really a reminder that we are now less than four weeks away, so the countdown has well and truly begun. We then travel to Kent, where Kent and Medway have mobilised their integrated health and social care record. We then travel north to Sheffield, where the City Council has said that human error is the main cause of data breaches at the Council. We then travel across to Northern Ireland, and a rather source of some embarrassment for Armagh City, Banbridge and Craigavon Borough Council, where its own Freedom of Information team have suffered from a data breach. We then go to the Republic of Ireland, where the Data Protection Commission has said it will publish details of Twitter's penalty on December the 17th this year. And then to Scotland, where a data breach has affected the Loch Rannoch Highland Club. We then travel to Cambridge, and news of a data breach at social housing provider Flagship Group. And then to Worcestershire, where West Mercy, a member of the police staff, has been found guilty of gross misconduct after a data breach. We then travel to South Africa with news of a data breach at ABSA and then to the Netherlands where the Netherlands cycling organisation KNCW has been hit by a data breach. We then travel to Brazil where plane maker Embraer has suffered a data breach and then across to Bangalore in India where Canon has confirmed that it suffered a data breach affecting its employee data. And then finally this week we travel to Canada with news of a data breach on the Vancouver Metro network. So as always, a wide-ranging number of articles for you this week. We hope you find them useful and informative. As always, we value your feedback, so if you have any feedback for us, please don't hesitate to email feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, but unfortunately, due to volumes, we don't have the opportunity to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay safe, stay home, save lives. The government have released more details of what information they will ask from you if you register for a COVID-19 home test and also what data they will record should you attend a testing centre for a COVID-19 test and also who they will share that data with. This is in England. Slightly different rules apply in Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. But what is common is the data that will be collected, the data of which will be your first name and last name, your date of birth, your gender, your ethnicity, your landline and mobile telephone numbers, your email address, your home address, and if you're having a home test ticket, your delivery address, including the postcode, your vehicle registration number, if you have one, your national insurance number, and if you know it, your NHS number for English residents. For Welsh, Scottish and Northern Ireland residents, there will be a different local identifier which will be specified when you register for the test. Details and onset of any symptoms. 
your employer details and details of anyone else who lives with you in your household. If you request a home testing kit, it will be delivered to you by Amazon, so the department will need to pass on your address details to Amazon. And once you have completed your test and either sent it back or you've completed it there on the spot, then your details will be passed to NPEX. NPEX will link your registration record with your test result, which is important to realise that the lab carrying out the test has no data to identify you at all. All it has is an identifier number on the test itself. Once they get the results, NPEX will contact you to give you the result, either by text and or email. And NPEX will also send results to NHS Digital so that they can collate the data and information for each of the UK countries and also link the results to your GP record for English residents by receiving your GP details from NHS Digital or Public Health England and using a product called Keystone provided by Emis Health to send your results to your GP. Where NPEX can't match the record, NHS Digital will try to. This will enable your GP to be informed of your test result without you needing to do anything. For Welsh, Scottish and Northern Irish residents, your results will be returned to Public Health Wales, NHS National Services Scotland and Northern Ireland Public Health Authority as relevant. If you are told to self-isolate, then the details will be passed to your local authority so that they can periodically check that you are self-isolating. They generally do this by phone, but if they try and call you and receive no response after three attempts, or you tell them you're not self-isolating, then your local authority may pass the information on to the police. The only information which the local authority have about you is your name, the address at which you're self-isolating, your contact details, and information about when and where you were instructed to self-isolate. If you're self-isolating and you're found to be outside, you can be outside with reasonable excuses, which include seeking medical assistance, obtaining basic necessities such as food or medicine, if there's no other way to obtain them, accessing social services or other important public services, avoiding a risk of harm, attending the funeral of a close family member, carrying out legal obligations such as attending court, or accessing veterinary services. In terms of what your data will be used for, it will be used for confirming the appointment at the test site, performing a QR code check at the test site, receiving and processing your test, returning your results to you, contacting you if you test positive as part of the government contact tracing programme, sharing your results with the Welsh, Scottish or Northern Irish house bodies if you live in one of those countries, sharing your results in Public Health England if you live in England, sharing your self-isolation status with your local authority if you live in England to verify any application you may have made for a self-isolation support payment, sharing your self-isolation status with your local authority if you live in England to enable them to provide support and guidance to you, and sharing your self-isolation status with the relevant police forces. Your test status will also be shared with NHS England and also with your local hospital if you are booked in for elective surgery via your summary care record. This only applies if you've taken a test and you have a summary care record. Undertaking quality assurance of the testing process, instructing data processors to share data for research purposes and for analysis to support operational decisions to improve the full end-to-end testing process such as day-to-day use, to inform regional test sites for improvements to the testing process and to support end-to-end logistic planning. Department of Health and Social Care emphasises that all data will be retained within the UK and if you have any further queries about how your data is handled, if you either need to book a test or resign the results of your test, then you can contact their data protection officer, Lee Cramp, by sending an email to data underscore protection at dhsc.gov.uk.
To Ireland now, and talk software technology firm Digisoft, an international leisure and attractions technology provider at Sesso Technology Group PLC, have teamed up with the Irish Defence Forces to introduce a smart wearable device to manage COVID-19 protocols amongst its troops. By partnering with the technology firms, the Defence Forces are currently testing its novel approach to COVID-19 risk management, including routine military training and the deployment of troops to peacekeeping missions overseas. Proximity Band is a collaboration between Digisoft and Assesso using proven wearable technology that they developed initially for amusement parks and re-adopted for COVID-19 mitigation purposes. It uses Bluetooth connectivity to identify, measure and track interactions between wearers in a GDPR-compliant manner to a secure administrative information hub. The patented wristband also provides social distancing guidance via on-screen and vibration alerts in the workplace. So if two employees get too close together, or in this case two uh, members of the armed forces get too close together against the social distancing guidelines, then the wristband vibrates to remind them they should be moving further apart. The device was initially trialled with members of the 96th Cadet class in Cora, who have already been deployed to assist the Health and Safety Initiative in fighting COVID-19 as contact tracers. It was subsequently rolled out to overseas units undergoing pre-deployment isolation requirements in both Kilworth Camp and Kulmani Camp with the 62nd Infantry Group that deployed to UNDOF mission in Syria in October 2020 and the 117th Infantry Battalion recently deployed to UNIFIL in Lebanon. The requirement for isolation and pre-deployment testing is a UN requirement in a bid to curb the potential spread of the virus worldwide. Lieutenant Brian Dwyer, engineer officer with the 117th Battalion about to deploy to Lebanon, said, The goal is to ensure that as a group we are as close to risk-free from COVID-19 as possible as we enter the mission area and are fully operational to carry out our peacekeeping mission on arrival. For the individual user, our soldiers, it provides use for feedback including behaviour modification alerts to maintain two-metre separation distance during the isolation phase, as well as updates on the number of close contacts made during the period of isolation. Brigadier General Brian Cleary, commander of the Defence Forces Joint Task Force on top of the 19 added, From the management and administrative side, we have tested developing technical ability to gather accurate and real-time contact tracing information, as well as data that will help us better manage our personnel during this isolation phase. If we help to successfully prove the concept, it may offer a risk mitigation technique, as well as to avoid knee-jerk overreactions to positive COVID-19 cases. In assisting to trial this technology, we are assisting with innovation, providing the testbed and trying all avenues to mitigate risk. Designed to replace manual contact tracing activities in the workplace, and with enterprise features including extended battery life that requires no charging by the wearer, durable IP67 form factor, and a cloud-hosted contact tracing dashboard, Proximity Band is ideally suited for use in industrial and military environments. Ferdal Kelly, CEO of Digisoft, said, We are very proud that we have had the opportunity to partner with the Defence Forces on this project and in turn help to manage COVID-19 in the force. This partnership has proved hugely successful for both parties and we look forward to rolling out this technology further. Our prison wearable has been a resounding success in the theme park industry, but the unique challenges presented by the COVID-19 crisis have revealed a whole new realm of possibilities for the application of the technology, said Accesso CEO Steve Brown. We are thrilled to partner with Digisoft to provide the technology for such an important project. This looks like a really interesting implementation of the technology, and if we receive any updates from Digisoft on how well this trial is going, 
We'll be certain to bring them to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay home, stay safe. Remaining in Ireland, an Irish developed mobile application is aiming to take the stress out of managing COVID-19 compliance for business. TB Smart Solutions has developed the CountMe.ie mobile app to be compliant with both COVID-19 housing safety requirements and GDPR, while also making it easier for companies to keep track of customer and staff movements. The system helps businesses manage sanitisation, contact tracing, staff accountability, reporting, data storage and management to help keep the business environment safe for your staff and customers. As people enter the business, their contact details are taken and securely stored in line with GDPR requirements. As they move through your premises, their locations are monitored using the provided QR codes where necessary. The system also enables the tracking of the sanitisation areas such as desks or workstations, again through the use of QR codes. Contact details can be accessed only on request by the relevant authorities for tracing purposes and details and are automatically deleted after the recommended 28 days. The app was tested with businesses in Kerry and more than 100,000 user interactions were tracked over the testing period. The system was also used to trace contacts of a confirmed case that proved the efficiency of the system after a staff member at one of the eight beta sites contracted the illness from outside the workplace. Using the CountMe system yielded 40% more contacts than simply relying on the booking system alone, Managing Director Peter Dunley said. The infection was ultimately contained with no member of staff or the public testing positive for COVID-19 as a result of being a close contact. The reality check of these things is that it's serious and we all need to do our bit as best as we can for it, he said. From our point of view, it's going to be industry-led. The product is being targeted at smaller-scale businesses, hairdressers, barbers and salons around the country, along with offices. So, details of two exciting tools left Ireland this week. And, of course, with news also of the release of a vaccine of COVID-19. Then, let's hope as we go into 2021 that the outlook looks slightly more positive than it did as we entered the middle of 2020. And now, the rest of this week's news. With the future of GDPR after the 31st of December coming into doubt, as we covered in our Brexit special edition of the GDPR Weekly Show last week, and if you've not already listened to that, I'd strongly recommend that you go back and listen to episode 119 of the GDPR Weekly Show, which was a live special on Brexit and its effect on GDPR. The UK Pensions Regulator has issued some advice to pension funds. It advises that from the start of next year, trustees will need to comply with GDPR as it exists and interpreted in the UK in what will become known as UK GDPR, rather than the current position under EU GDPR. One difference is that you and your service providers will need to rely on new UK-granted derogations, typically an adequacy decision or standard contractual clauses, in order to transfer personal data outside of the UK. It's worth remembering that EEA-based parties will still use EU GDPR, but there could be problems with data transfer to the UK if the European Commission does not grant an adequacy decision before the 31st of December this year. And as we say in our special episode, episode 119, it's certainly increasingly unlikely that that adequacy decision will be granted. And so pension trustees need to review and seek assurance from their service providers in relation to data transfers between the UK and the EEA. Your service providers should also contact you about any changes needed to their contractual terms. This will also be a good opportunity to ask them how they are responding to the SREMS 2 decision. If you need more information on SREMS 2, either contact us or listen back to previous episodes of the GDPR Weekly Show where we discussed it in some depth. 
As trustees, you may also need to review and update your suite of data protection documents, including your record of processing activities as it relates to transfers and also your privacy notice. Updates are needed to reflect the move to the UK GDPR, changes in terminology and the fact that special rules now apply to data transfers outside of the UK rather than outside of the EEA. Trustees will need to make most of these changes even if the European Commission does grant an adequacy decision. We're totally geared up here at the GDPR Weekly Show to help you in this situation, so if you'd like our help, please just drop an email to helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or telephone us on 0800 808 5312, that's 0800 808 5312, and one of our specialists would be delighted to help you. We're just under a month to go now, until we finally come to the end of the Brexit transition period. There are a number of things that all organisations need to be doing to make sure that you're compliant from January the 1st next year. The first of those is to look at any data transfers you may have between yourselves and the EEA. If your organisation imports personal data from the EEA, for example, employee information from an EEA subsidiary or as a processor for an EEA customer, then you need to take steps to review your contracts to ensure that transfer can continue if the European Commission does not make an adequacy finding in relation to UK data protection laws, as we just covered in the previous article. It's important to make sure that if you do have dealings with the EU or EEA, that your privacy policies are updated to reflect UK GDPR and EU GDPR, and not just EU GDPR as they are at the moment. As we mentioned in our special episode, episode 119, you may need to appoint a representative in the EEA. And if you are listening to this within the European Economic Area, then you might need to appoint a UK representative. You also need to look at your internal records and procedures, and in particular your Article 30 register. If your processing is going to be dual regulated, does it accurately describe which processing is subject to which regime or regimes? Do you know which supervisory authorities will have oversight of your processing activities? Are your internal policies and procedures up to date? If you use a one-stop shop mechanism for a single supervisory authority, have you identified which supervisory authorities will regulate your organisation going forward? So quite a bit to do, with only a few weeks to do it, and of course you drop Christmas in the middle too. So if you need any help with that, as we said at the end of our previous article, please don't hesitate to contact us, and we'll do our best to help you. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. Leaving Brexit behind now and a new house and social care shared record system is being launched in Kent and Medway which will deliver significant benefits for the region's care professionals and its 1.8 million citizens. Commissioned by a collaborative comprising the NHS Kent and Medway CCG Kent County Council and Medway Council, the Kent and Medway Care Record, KMCR, will bring together a single view of each patient's records from multiple source systems to help health and social care providers make better decisions for the citizens in their care. It will contain automated regular data feeds from four acute hospital trusts, three community service providers, two community-based mental health service providers, 225 GP practices, main sites and 85 branch sites, and around 466 social care teams based across the local authorities. The KMCR is designed to improve outcomes and experiences for the citizens of Kent and offer considerable efficiencies and time-saving benefits to health and social care professionals across the county. 
Patients will no longer need to keep repeating their medical and social care history when seen by different services. They'll be able to access their own data, helping them feel more involved and engaged in their own care. All this, of course, within the requirements of GDPR. The TMCR will enable clinicians and social carers to see what care citizens are receiving from other services, such as what medications they've been prescribed, alerts or allergies, hospital test results, and if the patient currently has a social care package. This more detailed and timely information will allow faster clinical decisions to be made, improve communication between referrers and service providers, and improve continuity of care. The TMCR does not give full access to patient medical school services, but is designed to share key information that will allow health and social care professionals to give local people better care and support. Information shared through the TMCR includes demographics, next of kin and carer details, current medications, allergies, safeguarding alerts, pathology results, a chronological list of contact with health and social care professionals including accident and emergency attendances, key social care data in terms of children and adults, mental health summary data including medication for both children and adults, referrals to other organisations, carer and care provider details, i.e. if they're being looked after by multiple agencies and contact details for each agency, the current location of the patient, are they an inpatient, are they at home, are they in a care home, a step down or mental health unit, any advanced directives, for example, do not attempt resuscitation, and any care plans, including end-of-life plans, crisis care plans, or anticipatory care plans. The TMCR is also contributing to Kent and Medway's COVID response and recovery. A COVID dashboard has been developed to coordinate recovery and response planning across the county. The COVID dashboard provides greater intelligence information about the virus, such as hotspots, demographic information, etc., in response to the pandemic, the TMCR also includes information about when a patient has been tested or diagnosed with COVID to ensure continuity of care across different care settings. Rapid progress has been made in weeks rather than months as part of the county's COVID-19 response plan and collaborative effort. Dr Navin Kumta, clinical chair of Ken and Medway CCG, said, We're looking to the shared record to deliver a significant transformational change in Ken and Medway. As well as helping us improve the quality and safety of care for patients, it will underpin our drive to integrate citizens' records across health and social care. Claire Bell, Cabinet Minister for Adult Social Care and Public Health at Kent County Council, said, The TMCR is a significant step forward which will provide benefits to health and social care professionals and most importantly to our Kent and Medway residents. It is also a good example of how collaboration between organisations can deliver better services for everyone. I'm looking forward to seeing the positive impact this will have on speed and quality of care for our residents in the years to come. Matt Dunkley, Corporate Director for Children, Young People and Education at Kent County Council, said the TMCR will join up records across children's social care, adult social care and community and acute health services in both Kent and Medway. This will support more timely information sharing and better decision making among professionals for the benefit of Kent residents. We are looking forward to the positive impact this should have in the way we can support the most vulnerable children in Kent. Councillor David Brake, portfolio holder covering public health for Medway Council, said, We are pleased to be working with our health partners on the Kent and Medway care record. This new innovative approach will help our residents receive better coordination of care to suit their individual health and social care needs. We are committed to supporting our most vulnerable residents, even more so in these challenging times. The solution is being provided by GraphNet Health Limited and the project to deliver solutions being led by Cantium Business Solutions. 
all health and adult social care organisations must, by law, share information with each other about patients they are caring for directly to improve care in line with the provisions of the Health and Social Care Safety and Quality Act 2015. The implementation of the KMCR will enable Kent and Medway to meet this requirement mandated by central government. Access to KMCR will be governed by GDPR and the Data Protection Impact Assessment, which has been approved by both NHS Kent and Medway CCG. All core providers and local authority social care teams will have access to the TMCR by April 2021. In the future, citizens will also be able to access their own patient records through TMCR, and planning for this will start from the beginning of 2021. To Sheffield now, and Sheffield City Council says that human error is the main cause of hundreds of personal data breaches that it suffered in the last year. The data breaches, including theft from social workers and printing errors with parking tickets, were among hundreds of data breaches that the council suffered. The council is required to note, assess and deal with any information security or personal data breaches and log 231 incidents during the 2019-20 year. Of these, 92 were personal data breaches. The majority involved customers and were caused by human error with emails or posts being delivered to the wrong person. And as we've said before on the GDPR Weekly Show, Delivery to the wrong person is probably, across the whole country, the most common reason for a data breach. It's not that serious that you need to report it to the ICO, but it is serious enough that any time this occurs, you do need to record it in your own organisation's data breach register. And so it's important that staff know they should record it. In the case of Sheffield, of all of the data breaches, only five were considered serious enough to be reported to the Information Commissioner's Office. These included 279 parking fine letters which were printed double-sided instead of single-sided. This resulted in around 140 people receiving their names, addresses and registration numbers of other people and one of these individuals did contact the ICO. Tribunal documents were sent to four individuals involved in the housing benefit appeal. The documents included information about each of the other individuals so all four people had access to each other's health and financial information. In that case, the council reported the breach to the ICO itself and contacted the affected parties to ask for documents to be returned. A social worker's car was broken into and information about individuals was stolen. The council reported the breach to the ICO and notified the affected parties. As a result of these thefts from social workers' vehicles, the council has reviewed its practice and issued internal guidance about remote working with paper documents. The other data breaches were where education, health and care plans were posted to a family, but the posted documents never arrived. The council reviewed its practice and issued internal guidance about sending sensitive documents via tracked post, i.e. recorded delivery. And the social worker's house was broken into and the officer's paper notebook and phone were stolen. Again, in this instance, the council reported itself to the ICO. The ICO took no further action in any of the five cases, although it does have the power to take enforcement action against organisations, as we cover regularly here on GDPR Weekly Show. Council Director Mark Gannon, said incidents can be events that have happened or near misses that affect or are likely to affect the confidentiality, integrity and availability of information. Data protection law requires organisations to notify the ICO of the personal data breaches that have a high and ongoing risk. Incidents and data breaches have been reported by all portfolios of the Council. The services that handle sensitive personal data are at greater risk because an incident or breach is more likely to have a greater impact on the customer and therefore meet the threshold to notify the ICO. There is a continuing and critical need to manage the information we have safely and securely, to continue to implement sound data protection practice and to ensure all staff are aware of their responsibilities and have received and completed all the necessary training. 
that last paragraph is of course something we would broadly echo here at the GDPR Weekly Show. It is very important for all organisations that your staff are kept up to date and that you don't just have one training exercise on GDPR when it was first implemented back in 2018 and you think that's okay, we don't need to worry about it again. You should be holding regular refresher training and as always that's one of the things we can help you with. So if you'd like help with training of your staff or refresher training for your staff, please do get in touch with us. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year from the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay safe, stay home, save lives. To Northern Ireland now and some minor embarrassment for Armagh City, Banbridge and Tradehaven Borough Council because it's had a data breach involving its own Freedom of Information team. The data breach took place on November the 24th when the wrong response to a Freedom of Information request was sent to the wrong person. The response this individual received was to a question they'd not asked and contained the email address, prefix, first initial and surname of the person who had submitted the question. When asked about the data breach, a spokesperson for the council confirmed the organisation was fully aware of the incident and said a full investigation was being conducted. A council spokesperson said all relevant procedures have been followed including the data breach incident handling protocol. All incidents are monitored along with regular data protection training to mitigate against the reoccurrence of data breaches, they said. To the Republic of Ireland now and the Irish Data Protection Commissioner, the DPC, has said that it will be publicising its decision on the Twitter data breach on December the 17th this year. Helen Dixon, the Irish Data Commissioner, said on Thursday the 3rd of December that talks with fellow EU data protection regulators have been beset by high levels of dispute on a final decision as to Twitter's punishment following a 2019 disclosure on a bug in its Android app. The bug had led to some Twitter users' protected tweets being made public. As we've explained previously on the GDPR Weekly Show, Ireland has responsibility for Twitter as that's where its main EU place of business is established. To give a bit of background, in May this year, the Irish Data Protection Commission had sent a preliminary decision in its probe of Twitter's practices to the social media firm as well as to Alban member states, who, due to the cross-border nature of the case, were permitted to raise objections to the decision. For their part, EU national authorities did raise concerns with the preliminary position, in turn forcing the Irish regulator to invoke the GDPR dispute resolution process. The European Data Protection Board, the EU's umbrella data protection authority, has for its part adjudicated on the case in order to address concerns raised by national authorities on the Irish DPC's draft decision. The final decision will now be made public on December the 17th. Speaking about the process of managing the EU's first major cross-border data breach, Dixon struck a frustrated tone with regards to the complexity of coordinating with other EU data protection authorities. Am I satisfied? No. The process didn't work particularly well, Dixon said. On the other hand, it is the first time EU data protection authorities have stepped through the process, so maybe it can only get better from here. And so, like everyone else, we now await the publication of the decision on the 17th of December to see what the penalty for Twitter will be in this long-running saga. I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I'll try it now. To Scotland now and news that their probe is underway into a data breach at the Highland Perthshire Resort after details of 2,400 members were leaked online. The management team at the Perthshire Holiday Resort have been accused of an inexcusable security breach after posting the personal emails and phone numbers of more than 2,400 members on their website. 
the Loch Rannoch Highland Club, which counts former Conservative leader Sir Ian Duncan Smith amongst its visitors, was reported to the Data Protection Watchdogs after publishing 243 pages of sensitive information. The blunder has angered some timeshare owners who have already fallen out with the club committee over a series of redundancies and walkouts. Club chairman Cliff Hunter said the members' details were removed within hours of going online and insisted that only a small number of people had viewed them. The ICO has confirmed it is probing the incident as there is anyone with concerns to get in touch. Until it was shut down, the members' section of the Lock Rannoch Highland Club website, which was fully accessible to the public, contained a lengthy list of timeshare owners' email addresses and phone numbers, alongside their club reference numbers. The list was reported to the ICO by owner Anne Blythe, who is proprietor of the Perth-based UK resort exchange. She said, one of the other owners has alerted me, he came across it by accident. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. The club has some very prominent members, and I'm sure they'd be horrified to know their details have been put out there like this. Another owner, Ian Taylor, said the members list was an inexcusable breach of GDPR rules and regulations. The personal information of all members was available to all and sundry throughout the world. This is gross negligence, and it's totally irresponsible of the website to publish personal and private data without the consent of the individual. Mr Taylor said he's written to Mr Hunter, urging him to resign and call an extraordinary general meeting to elect a new management committee. Mr Hunter said as soon as the club was made aware of what had happened, this small loophole was immediately closed. He said the page was only visible by searching the site for that particular page, which was only accessible through the members area and was never available as a menu item or a click on the public-facing portion of the website. Additionally, this section of the website had only been online for a matter of hours, and the page had only been viewed a few times. If we get any further update on this, either from the Lock Rannock Club, or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. To Cambridge now, and social housing provider flagship group was hit by a cyber attack on the 1st of November 2020, that caused most of its systems to be taken offline. The incident is thought to be a ransomware attack. A statement on Flagship Group's website confirmed that some data encryption and some personal customer and staff data have been compromised in the attack. Flagship Group owns approximately 31,000 homes across the east of England, including Cambridge, Essex, Norfolk and Suffolk, as well as building and selling homes privately. The company employs 1,200 people across all roles, including facilities, repairs, maintenance and heating. This means there are thousands of customers and staff who could potentially have had their details exposed. David McQuaid, Chief Executive of Flagship Group, said, We take the privacy and security of our customers and staff data very seriously, and we're very sorry it's been compromised. He added, Our teams are working tirelessly around the clock to bring our systems back online, and we apologise for any inconvenience that may have been caused. If we receive any further update on this, either from the Flagship Group or from the ICO, we will, of course, bring it to you at the earliest possible opportunity. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To Worcestershire now, and news that a member of West Mercia police staff would have been dismissed from the force had she not resigned before the misconduct hearing. The case, which was conducted on November the 24th and related to a data protection breach, where information was shared with a member of the public without a policing purpose and following an investigation by the Professional Standards Department. Superintendent Rebecca Love, Head of Professional Standards, said the hearing found that this member's staff's actions amounted to gross misconduct and breached the standard of professional behaviour in the area of discreditable conduct. 
Officers and staff are held to a high standard of professional behaviour, both on and off duty, which the public rightfully expect. If they fall below these standards, they discredit the service and impact on the trust and confidence of our communities, which we cannot allow. Even though the Member of Staff had resigned prior to this hearing, the panel found that the Member of Staff would have been dismissed with immediate effect. They will also be placed on the College of Policing barred list and will not be employable within the UK Police Service. To South Africa now, and South African-based financial services group ABSA has stated that one of its employees sold the personal information of 200,000 clients to third parties. The group confirmed on Wednesday this week that the illegal activity had occurred and that 2% of ABSA's retail customer base had been impacted. The employee allegedly responsible for it was a credit analyst who had access to the group's risk modelling processes. Data exposed as a result of the security incident included clients' ID numbers, addresses, contact details and descriptions of the vehicles that they'd purchased on finance. ABSA Group Chief Security Officer Sandro Bushianeri said that the employee believed to have been behind the data breach was someone who we trusted and who had access to information as part of their day job. The analyst, who Bushianeri said is now facing broad criminal charges, has been suspended while the matter was investigated. Bushianeri added that the parties who allegedly purchased the data from the analyst may use it to try to commit fraud on those accounts. The data breach was discovered on October 27th However, ABSA waited a month before revealing that client information had been compromised. The company said the delay was a deliberate move to ensure that court processes were not jeopardised. After discovering that the breach had occurred, ABSA obtained court orders for search and seizure operations to be carried out at various premises. The bank said that all devices containing the stolen customer data had now been found and wiped clean of the information. If we receive any further details on this data breach, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Week Show. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. To the Netherlands now, and the World Dutch Cycling Union, the national governing body for cycling in the Netherlands, has urged members to update their passwords after being hit by a data breach. In a statement issued on November the 27th, the KNWU indicated that malicious hackers now possess the entire contents of a legacy database containing members' contact details. However, the statement did not indicate what types of personal data were involved or indeed how many individuals had been affected. The KNWU said it had received a ransom demand that said the stolen data would be returned to the body if it paid up. However, the association, which did not disclose the sum demanded, said it would not pay the ransom because it had backups of the data and because doing so would not guarantee the attackers wouldn't abuse the data for illegal purposes anyway. The database in question was stolen from a previous incarnation of the my KNWU platform, which members log into to access benefits. This legacy platform has not been accessible to the public since January this year after migration to a new system, the organisation said. The breach had no adverse consequences for the operation or security of the new My KNWU environment, said the KNWU, and would not affect membership renewals or applications. Investigators were ongoing, it added, and steps were being taken to mitigate the impact of the breach and to prevent further security incidents. KNW members were urged not to take any emails purporting to come from the KNWU and to phone or email the association to validate the authenticity of any invoices or payment requests received. The body said it alerted the police and the Dutch Data Protection Authority. The KNWU organises cycling events and competitions and provides members with discounts, cycling insurance and the opportunity to participate in competitions. The Brazilian plane maker Embraer has disclosed that hackers managed to breach its computer systems and steal data. 
Embraer is the world's third largest producer of civil aircraft after Boeing and Airbus and has delivered more than 8,000 aeroplanes to date. Embraer says it was spotted it as being attacked on November 25th, which resulted in a single environment of the company's files being left inaccessible. The company says that upon discovering the security breach, it immediately initiated procedures to protect the rest of its network infrastructure, isolating other systems proactively, which resulted in some of its normal business operations being disrupted. According to local media reports, Embraer employees working remotely from home have found it difficult to access the company's system since the attack occurred. Embraer reacted very quickly to the news of the data breach, in part to comply with Brazilian legislation which requires companies to disclose security breaches in a speedy fashion and to notify any users who may have been affected. As always, if we receive any update on this data breach from Embraer, we will of course bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay home, stay safe. To India now, and in Bangalore, Canon has confirmed that it suffered a ransomware attack in early August and that hackers did steal data from its company servers. On August 5th, Canon USA sent out a company-wide notification informing employees of extensive system issues that made multiple applications, Teams and email amongst them, being unavailable. It's understood that the ransomware attack was carried out by the ransom group Maze, a group that typically steals data from compromised networks to pressure victims into paying up. Canon said it had started to investigate the incident and found evidence of unauthorised activity on its network between July the 20th and August the 6th. The hackers had accessed its file servers that also hosted information about current and former employees from 2005 to 2020 and their beneficiaries and dependents. In a recent public announcement, Canon says that the data accessed by the attacker included employees' names, social security numbers, dates of birth, the numbers corresponding to driver's license numbers or government-issued IDs, the bank account number for direct deposits from Canon, and their electronic signatures. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. And finally this week, we travelled to Canada, where the metro system in Vancouver is the latest victim of a ransomware attack. It's understood that a ransom letter was sent to TransLink amid suspicious network activity that caused several major problems across the transit system. TransLink CEO Kevin Desmond confirmed the attack in a media release late on Thursday. It's understood the letter said, Your network has been attacked, your computers and servers were locked, your private data was downloaded. If you do not contact us in the next three days, we will begin data publication. The letter does not specify a ransom amount, but goes on to claim that recovering the data and systems without paying the ransom will cost hundreds of millions of dollars. Sources inside TransLink say the belief is that the attacker is a high-profile hacker who is responsible for a number of similar attacks across the US. They believe this may be the attacker's first successful attempt into Canada. The letter includes instructions for administrators to contact the Egregore website using an anonymous browser Tor. Egregore ransomware reportedly surfaced in September and made headlines with attacks on Barnes & Noble and Ubisoft, which we've reported previously here on the GDPR Weekly Show. TransLink said it was taking the position that it will not give in to ransom demands. The attack could have also affect payday, which is Friday, for TransLink employees. Employees will still be paid, the company said, but using a cash advance at 65% of their normal pay, but without any payroll deductions. In a statement, TransLink said it was working to resume normal operations as quickly and safely as possible. It said the agency was conducting a forensic investigation and that TransLink does not store any customer's fair payment data. 
Trump and spending machines and tap to pay fare gates began accepting credit and debit card payments again on Thursday afternoon. Various online services, including the Trip Planner tool, remained disabled on Thursday evening. We are sharing as much as we can at this point, considering this is an active investigation, Desmond said. We feel it's important to keep our customers and employees as informed as possible in the circumstances. We're also sharing this update in order to alert other organisations about the dangers of this ransomware attack. Earlier in the day, Desmond said the transit agency had acted to isolate systems as soon as it realised there had been a breach. As always, if we receive any update on this from Translink, we'll bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And cut. That's a wrap. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurer production. Until next time, bye-bye.